Hey, Sober family, welcome to I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye, the podcast where we're learning to love ourselves instead of booze. I'm your host, Dana Kroll. I'm a former Army chaplain who developed a toxic relationship with alcohol after leaving the military several years ago. And after inpatient and outpatient recovery and a year of staying sober on my own, I relapsed and descended into a rock bottom. But thankfully, in the depths of the despair, I discovered the not-so-secret solution to staying sober, which I believe is finding and contributing to a community. And soon after, I started this podcast as a way to keep myself accountable and to help others in early sobriety. With me, as always, in the studio is Al K. Hallfree, my co-host and spirit animal for sobriety. What's up, Al? You're looking good on this Friday afternoon. On this episode, we are welcoming Caitlin Mika as our guest. She lives in Island Park, Illinois, and she works as a social media manager and confidence coach. And through her own path to sobriety and helping others in their sober journeys, she has found a way to uh, reignite her inner light. And so by the end of today's episode, Caitlin and I really want you to walk away knowing that all of your power comes from within and that you can reignite your inner light by changing the way that you talk to yourself and the way that you treat yourself. So Caitlin, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here with both of you. Well, we're excited to have you and we're excited to hear about your relationship with alcohol and how when you kissed it goodbye, uh, how that helped you to to rediscover and reignite that inner light that you're going to tell us about. Sure. So um, I started, I didn't drink so much in high school, so I started around like, the age of 18. I was a very shy little girl. Um, I mean, from as as old as or as young as I can remember I mean I was hiding behind my parents legs at grocery stores when strangers would try to talk to me wouldn't really say hi uh in high school I was just very very quiet thought you know it's easier to be invisible and then around 18 I started working in the restaurant industry with a bunch of different personality types realized that what I thought alcohol was doing for me was helping me to come out of my shell to relax around people to bond with people um, so that's really where like my alcohol use started. And then I went away to college and, you know, that's, you know, living in this like city with all people your own age and you're away from your parents for the first time and everybody's doing what they want. So um, continued to kind of be in a similar situation there where alcohol was always present. It was very easy to get. And same thing. Um, I was in this new, completely new situation. So I thought that it was helping me to um, fit in in that situation. So that's where it all really started to uh, ramp up. And then as far as kissing alcohol goodbye, it was December of 2020 was when I had my moment where I, I kind of woke up to my alcohol use. So I'll explain 2020 to you from, from my lens. So in December of 2019, I got engaged and we were super excited like we had already talked we knew we were getting married i knew he had the ring because it's my grandma's diamond like i knew that it was coming so we had picked out a venue um i had picked out i mean very soon after got a dress we had a date we had you know all of that planned and so march of 2020 comes around and I'm, i mean when i say we had the whole wedding plan i had all the vendors picked out i had i had it i had worked in weddings previously so i had had it down so March of 2020 happens and, you know, we got the, we're going to work from home for two days from my company. And then we, 
I'm still remote. Um, and yeah, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> it's a long two days. Um, so at that time, we <laughs> we stayed optimistic and we were like, you know, we hadn't been through through a pandemic. So uh, we were like, well, by September, like we, we have to be good by then. Right. So right. Um, so I kept planning, kept, you know, everything is normal. Definitely there is where the drinking did ramp up though. And I remember people saying to me like, you're so positive about this and you're so like together and I would be freaking out and internally I'm like, "Mm, yeah, well, I'm glad, glad my face is showing together. (laughs) You know, I was working and it was like, as soon as I would get off work, I would have a drink and being working from home. Like you don't even have that commute to break it up. So it just kind of all starts to blur together. Right. And then, you know, you're, you're wedding planning in a pandemic. So you tell yourself that like you deserve to drink the bottle of wine on a Tuesday. So that's what I was doing. And, um, and I remember, you know, thinking to myself, like, I'll have a glass or like, I would wake up, I would think I'd have a glass. And then it got to the point where I would wake up and I'd be like, Oh, there's still some left in the bottle. Like I did good last night. So it got to the point where it was like pretty consistent and more and more. And then in, so it was July of 2020 when we were like, all right, we're, it was the end of July too. And we were like, okay, we're going to, we're going to have to postpone this, this thing, this whole party. So the, when we decided to do that, my wedding shower was that Saturday and we were having like a, a small bridal party get together. And we ended up switching gears and we pulled off a surprise wedding that was Mostly magical. It was great. We had our bridal party, most of our bridal party there, everybody that was local. Both of our families were there. And it was in my parents' backyard. It was like 40 people. We stayed outside. So it was it was great. And just like that whole surprise, people were like, I've never seen that done. And and his, sis, his sister married us. So it was just really personal and sweet. And then it was a party. And um, I ended up, I mean, I, did, I don't remember the end of the night. I was apparently asleep on my parents' kitchen floor. And I woke up the next day and like, you know, I had all the excuses. I was making them for myself. People were making them for me. They're like, oh, well, well after what you went through, like, that's nothing, you know, it's, it wasn't bad or it was good. And, and like, and so I, you know, that was reinforced. And then I said it to myself, like, I'm, I'm, pl- I'm planning a wedding in a pandemic. Now I'm replanning the party for next year. I'm still planning a wedding. I, I'm exhausted. I've been through a lot. I've been working full time through all of this. All of this just happened four days ago where we were realizing that we weren't having our big wedding. So I had, you know, that mindset. And then I continued with that mindset where it was just, it was very like entitled and like victim driven where it was like, I deserve that. Or I've been through a lot or, and I was making myself this victim. And then in December of 2020, Um, I went away on a girl's weekend and we were out and, you know, it was 2020. So we didn't go out a lot. So I was definitely excited to be out and it it ended up being like an all day drinking thing. And I don't remember the end of it, but I ended up in the hospital and it was more mental. Like the things that I was saying and doing made people believe that I was a danger to myself. I mean, I was pretty much saying that I was a danger to myself at that point. So, um, and again, I don't remember, which is almost like the scary, is definitely the scariest part of like being this person that you don't even know, like, it's like, that's not me. And I don't remember being that person. So, so yeah, that was scary. And I woke up, um, in the hospital I was like, what? And I freaked out. 
So I was on the phone with my husband and I just remember I like lost it crying. And he was like, Hey, you're in a safe place. You're good. You're, you're okay. Like use the time to rest. So I, I, they took like everything. They took my phone. They took all my belongings. They had me like change out of my clothes into their like hospital type clothes. They took my wedding ring and I ended up, I was able to fall asleep um, for like two hours, but then I woke up and I was sobered up and I was like, I can't stay here. Like I can't stay here. Um, and at this point I didn't know, but my mom and husband were both calling places and trying to like get this hold released and they were able to get me released. So that was December of 2020. And I stopped drinking until June, the end of June. It was like June 24th, I think, um, of 2021. And I said six months, I was like, I'm going to stop drinking for six months. Um, even at this point, it wasn't a forever thing for me. And I went into a coaching program and this is where I learned about stories from our past and how we carry those with us and the, the stories that we create in our head and what we tell our, ourselves really does determine how we create ourselves to be. So that was really, really big for me to learn and to like get, gain this awareness into myself because I don't believe that I really had an awareness or presence in myself before that. Like I was just kind of going with life and letting it kind of beat me up. Um, so yeah, so I stopped drinking for six months. I started drinking again. We had our, our second wedding, our big wedding. Um, that was great, but I started drinking again and it was like a week and a half later that I was like, I'm too drunk and I don't like it. And then I, I continued and I had many nights where it was like, I'm not moderating. Like, what am I doing? And then, yeah, we just went through like some highs, some lows. And then in November, my family suffered a loss. So we went into like this, this heavy state of grief, all of us together. And I was drinking with the family and it was just like this cycle. And like, we were, you know, all grieving together. So these nights would go late. It would get emotional. And I would tell myself like, I need to be there for them. So like drinking with them is, was a form to me of being there for them. So that was like through November and December. And then in January, I was, I, I knew, I was like, I don't like this. So I was like, I'm doing dry January and we'll see where that goes. And then January 15th came around. It was a friend's birthday. I ended up drinking. I woke up on January 16th and I had like what I called the Sunday scaries, but really was crippling anxiety, um, laying in bed, like napping, heart racing, just like ask questioning, like, what am I doing? And who am I? Who do I want to be? Like, and why am I like not taking those actions? So I changed and I started taking those actions. And that's, I mean, I've been sober since January 16th. And it was pretty, I don't want to say easy because parts of it were hard. The act of stopping drinking this time was pretty easy. And I, I do accredit that to the six months last year because I knew how good that could feel. And I, I had half a year one way and half a year the other way. And I knew which way I wanted to be. Okay. And want to be. So it wasn't like this, uh, it's, it wasn't a necessarily a linear process for you. It was kind of a, like one step forward, two steps back, or just a, a maybe a winding road is the better image for that. Yeah. And I think, um, like I'm giving you the extremes, but I had done dry months before that. Like there was definitely thoughts before that of like, I am drinking too much. And we have, I mean, generational patterns of drinking, drinking alcohol dependency. I mean, back to great, great grandparents. And that's as far as I know, it could be back further. So 
I saw like the roads I could go down and I, you know, there, there was a lot of in my twenties, like, oh, I can, I can moderate, I can, you know, learn, I can. And it just got to the point where it was like, if I could, I would have by now. So I knew that for me, you know, there were people who expressed concern, but it wasn't like a, no one ever said to me, like, you need to stop drinking or you're going down a, a really bad path or like, it wasn't like I had those words. Like I had to get to, I got to get to that conclusion on my own, which is great in a way that I got there before it got to that point. But yeah, there was definitely times where, where I was questioning it throughout my twenties. So tell me about when was the first time that you had a drink and maybe you said it before, but like, how did, how did drinking enter your life originally? First time, um, there was like once when I was 13 and it was like, I was too scared really to like do anything, but this is actually, I haven't talked about this yet, but there, there's a memory, like the first like bad time I was 16, I was at my brother's friend's house and we were, we were like sitting around a campfire and I was sitting in a chair that was slightly like leaned backwards down a hill. And I said it, I was like, I'm going to fall backwards in this chair. And I was holding on to the chairs beside me, like, and you know, and I'm 16. So I don't know how alcohol hits you. This is like really my first time like drinking heavily. So this bottle is being passed around the circle and I'm just like taking it every time it gets to me. And yeah, I ended up falling backwards in the chair and throwing up and my brother friend was like holding me on my side. And so that was the first like bad, bad night. If I had to have like an entry story, that would be it. Okay. And then what about through uh, high school? And then did you, did you go into college and you, again, forgive me if you've said any of this already, but no, you're good. About your <laughs> drinking career after that. Yeah. So it was my senior year really when I started, like even after that, like I, I didn't until um, I got into, it was a second restaurant I worked at and it just like, that's just what they did. And I, that's just what I did at that point. Like it was, it was easy because you're working in a restaurant industry where you have a bunch of people who are in their young twenties, like that are willing to buy um, even like some of the bars there, like, you know, they wouldn't look twice if you were with the rest of the, the servers from that specific restaurant. Um, so it was so easily accessible at that point. Um, and then we became like this family and we were so bonded and like, you know, you see people at their highest highs and lowest lows in the restaurant industry. Like you see people so happy and like, you know, it's the best day ever. And then you see people at their breaking point crying in the kitchen because somebody's yelling at them and just ready to like pull their hair out. So at the end of the day, you feel like this family and like you're so close because you've seen all these experiences and gone through them together. And then you go to the bar and it's like, well, no, this is our time to blow off steam. This is our time to relax. Like we're working in this fast paced, high, strong environment. So yeah, so it, it definitely like that's where I would say it got consistent, um, where it was like, we go to work and after work we drink. So yeah. And then going into college. Yeah. I mean, I, I was very homesick when I started college. So one drinking would kind of numb that or stop that, um, that like homesickness for me. And then two, to me, it was a way to help me make friends and talk to people and like be able to have conversations and be confident enough to, to have, you know, 
to talk to people. Like I, without it, I was just so shy. And so like there, you know, I'm definitely an overthinker. That's something that I'm still working on um, where I would think like, they're not going to like what I have to say. They're not going to want to talk to me. I'm not, you know, as pretty as that person. I'm not sm as smart as this person. Like, why would they want to talk to me? That kind of thing. And when you went on in um, the restaurant industry, you ended up in management, right? I did. So tell me about what was the, that transition like? For And at a young age, too, you were, um, you're 24 years old and you're leading all these other servers now. And now you're the one that they're looking up to. And so tell me about that phase, because I, in another interview, you talked about this and I was, I'm really, I found this part interesting. Yeah. I love talking about this part of my life, actually. Um, it's empowering <laughs> to talk about it. So same restaurant train that I worked at as a server. I had done everything pretty much in the front of house. I had served, bartended, hosted, done catering, like all of that I was golden at. I went through management and the location that I was at was like, we want to keep you the only, the only management position we have open is the kitchen manager. And I was like, okay, cool. Totally out of my comfort zone, but okay. Like you want to keep me, you like me, you accept me. So sure, I'll do it. So yeah, so I'm dropped, you know, back in the kitchen and I'm, I don't really know what I'm doing. And, and at the same time, I had so much front house experience that that was expected of me too, um, to be a support to the front house manager. So it was a lot just in the job in itself. And then, yeah, being 24 years old, like I was, I was the youngest manager. I was younger than most of the employees. I was in my, you know, I just gotten out of college. Like I had been partying for four years. Like I still wanted to go out with people. I wanted to believe that these people were my friends before and during college. Like when I came home, most of my friends were from the restaurant. So um, I really wanted to believe it. And um, I, you know, I, even since the last podcast that I did, I've learned a lot more about myself and like my need to be accepted and my like fear of being rejected and fear of like disappointing people or making people angry. So in this restaurant specifically, um, I think I used the words touchy feely in the last podcast. I'll be realer here. It was way more than touchy feely. Yeah. So, and I just like went along with things that like, and I remember a lot of times like people saying to me like, well, you're smiling, you're laughing with them. Like how uncomfortable can you be? And I was like, that is my go-to response when I'm uncomfortable is to smile and laugh at that point. So yeah, being 24, it was like almost this like defense mechanism to just, and like I, I wanted so bad to be accept, accepted that I was like, well, these people are my friends, so it's fine. Like what they're doing is fine. It's friendly. It's whatever. So yeah, I just, I went along with it. And, um, but there was still something in the back of my mind that was like, this isn't okay. This isn't right. This isn't how a workplace is supposed to be. This is toxic. So I, I remember there were times being a newer manager, I closed a lot. So I would be getting out of work at one o'clock in the morning. And there was a gas station that sold till two, just like right on my way home. And I would pull in there, I would buy either a bottle of wine or, um, or beer. And I would go home and um, I had my dog at home. So uh, I would drink four or five beers, I would drink, you know, a bottle of wine, I would go to sleep, I would wake up at noon, and I'd do it all over again. And I really think that there was like, I was compromising so much of myself there that like, again, alcohol was just stopping the like chatter in my brain. So you have talked about um, reigniting your, your inner light. Mm -hmm. uh, do you feel like it was something that was 
always there because you, you use the term reigniting it. So I'm curious to hear this. Like, where do you think your inner light was during this whole time? Because you've also said in the conversation that you feel like you didn't have a lot of self insight until maybe more recently. So what what's your thought about um, who the real Caitlin was all along? And, you know, was she someone that you were afraid to connect with or someone that you just didn't know was there or what, tell me about, it. I don't want to put words in your mouth. So tell me about Caitlin's light throughout this whole process. Yeah, no, I love that you just asked that question. Cause this has been like an exploration in the last like week for me. So this is great. Perfect. Yeah. So I believe that I was giving my light away to people who didn't necessarily deserve it. I mean, the, the a big thing that I've said is that I gave my light to people who turned around and burned me with it. Yeah. So, or my fire, whatever, whichever one makes more sense to you. I gave my fire away to people who turned around and burned me with it. So, um, that, or I was so non-present with it that it would go out. Um, so there's, there's a couple different, I think, scenarios. Like one, I was, have described myself still do, um, as an empath. I've definitely learned how to care and help people from, making sure that I'm cared and helped, um, cared for and helped where before, like I, I was not very nice to myself and I, you know, I talked about, I'm not as pretty, I'm not as smart. I'm, I'm, you know, just I, any insult that you could throw at someone, I threw at myself. Um, but I would never talk to anybody else like that ever. And that's when it really started to click for me. I was like, if I wouldn't talk to a friend the way I'm talking to myself, I remember one time I hung up like motivational quotes in my bedroom. And it was like, get up, you're lazy. Like they were not motivational, they were rude. And it was like to motivate myself to go work out. Like, what am I doing? So, I mean, and I, you know, I say that I gave my light away. I say that I let it go out. And there were times when I snuffed it out myself. So yeah, in reigniting it, like I learned how to talk to myself. I learned how to love myself. I learned, I literally looked in the mirror for six months and said, I am my friend to myself until I believed it. I wrote the reasons that I'm my friend. I wrote how my body supports me and how I support it. It was, it was a process to like, when you go from just demeaning yourself to like, and letting people demean you as well. Like it was like, you know, I talk about that restaurant and I've, I've come to this conclusion now that I'm like, I didn't tell anybody to stop. Like I'm, I'm not blaming myself, but like now if that happened to me, I would, no, no chance there'd be a smile on my face. I can promise you that. Yeah. So it's just like, I didn't stand up for myself. And now I do. I, I adore myself. I stand up for myself the way that I, I almost sometimes look at myself as not me, like an external person. And I'm like, if, if, if this wasn't you, how would you talk to you? Like if, if this was your best friend and now I am, how would you talk to you? And that's how I got to where I am today. Cause I treat myself like that. And how has the coach, the confidence coach training played it? How did that enter your story? And, and how has that made a difference since it entered? Yeah. So this is, this is fun to talk about too. Um, after that hospital stay, my older brother actually reached out and he was, it's, uh, it's story work coaching. So I've branded myself as a confidence coach since then. Um, but I use story work, breath work, that kind of thing, um, in my coaching. So I ended up working with this confidence coach who was actually the founder of um, InLifted, which is the the, the, um, the certification that I went through. And yeah, it was it was solely just by my brother being like, "Hey, do you want this comp- or this 
the story we're coached. And I, I, at that point I was like, I will, you know, if, if it's going to work, I'm going to do it. And I, I was in therapy. Like I, I had a therapist at that point. And to me, like the way, and therapy works for plenty of people. Um, definitely for me in this specific setting, it was very like going into my past and going through it, but not clearing it. And like, I, then I would just hold on to it. So what the story work was able to do, I was able to like write it down and see it and like breathe through it. And it was just really like able to like get those stories out of my head. Cause I, I alluded to this in the beginning, but when the stories stay stuck in my head or anyone's head really, it spins around and it becomes this like big thing where when you can get it out, it looks a little more granular and then you can break it down and really work through it. So that's what I did with, with the stories from the restaurant, with the stories, um, the wedding planning stories. In the, in the beginning I had, um, a theme of being afraid of men. So we worked a lot of that out from like back to, to childhood. So yeah, that's, does that answer your question? It does. It does. And I'm, I'm also curious, tell me there was in the one vignette that you alluded to earlier about the tough family situation and the drinking mm-hmm. with them as a way to um, show solidarity or support um, and that that was a way of caring for them. Um, tell me what it's like with your family now because I I seem to remember thing you talking about now you've been able to reconnect with them uh, where they're able to still drink, but you don't, but it hasn't come, it hasn't driven a wedge between you. Is that right? Yeah. So in the beginning, you know, I, when I started to see how much it benefited me, like I wanted that for everybody. Um, and I also was like, well, I don't want to be around in the beginning. Like I didn't want to be around it. Like I didn't want to see that point where people's eyes turned and got glassy over speech started to slur. Like that wasn't like, something that I, I really wanted. Um, and it goes back to like, I don't think I've touched on this too much, but like, I feel like my authentic self all the time now. And like, when I would see that and like, see the changes in the conversation and just like circle talking, circular talking and all that, like, to me, like, I was like, well, I'm around people who are not their authentic selves right now. And I want to be my authentic self. And I, you know, that whole empath thing, like protecting my energy. Um, And yes, with that being said, my family now, um, I mean, we went to a wedding recently and like they were drinking, I wasn't and, and it's great. And, um, I know when to leave uh, for the most part. Um, and yeah, I bring my, you know, like I, I drink non-alcoholic beers or non-alcoholic wine and it makes such a difference to like be able to have like that non-alcoholic beer and a koozie and like you know, if they, if people don't know, they don't know at that point, like you, you're still a part of that fitting in crowd, um, which I am learning to like put less and less emphasis on fitting in because, um, I think my power is in my ability to stand out now, which Uh is, is huge for me to say that. (laughs) Um, yeah. And controlling my energy and being my own light and all that stuff that I'm talking about, like to truly say that you can do that, then, for me, like being in any situation, I I don't let it rattle down. And I'm still, I'm a work in progress and I'm so much further along than I have been. And yes, now like I can be 
around my family and I can, you know, talk to my dad about how great this non-alcoholic beer is. And I'm very excited for football season because I'm a huge Bears fan and my dad's a huge Bears fan. And um, we can still have beer and football. Like it's like those things that like you, you tied to alcohol aren't tied to alcohol. Like, uh, and your brain just makes you think they are, or my brain just made me think they, that they were. That's true. The associations are there. And I know that even the brief amount of time that I smoked in high school, um, it was like I'd get in the car and I would want a cigarette because that's where I usually smoked and your body just reacts. And, and sometimes all those contexts with drinking, it was like, come home from work, come home from work and have a drink to start to unwind. And so, yeah, the, the, uh, just that operant conditioning that we put ourselves through uh, over weeks, months, and years. I mean, some for some of us, decades doing mm-hmm. that. It's it's no wonder that we think that we have to have we have to have this with uh, paired with football. And it also doesn't help that there's tons of advertising that tells us that the two go hand in hand exactly. with football mm-hmm. in particular. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like what other things that you, do you want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? I can talk about reigniting your life all day. So like for me, it's so important. Like the way you talk to yourself matters. It matters so much. And I would like tell myself like you're disgusting. You're gross. Like what was it's and I think back and it's like, what was that? So, yeah, I mean, the, the biggest things are just talking to yourself like you're someone you love. Um, I also, I should touch on breathing. I'm not like a breath work master by any means, but I've definitely learned that breathing into your abdomen, into your belly, a lot of people are walking around with their breath in their chest and it's trapped in their chest. And that is a stress response that we've learned and that we continue to do. And when you push your breath into your belly, one, it slows it down because it's exhausting to just take shallow breaths all day. You know, as much as like the words have gone into it, breath to me is, is, is just as important because, um, when, yeah, when you slow it down, when you, I mean, there are times where I'll be stressed out and I'll, I'll walk outside for five minutes and I'll count my breath and breathe in for four out for eight. And it's, it's a whole different world. It's a whole different change. Um, so that to me, like, it's for me, like, I, I don't know that I stop drinking if I don't start breathing well. That's, that's really big. Come I was just here. thinking of the fire, the image of the fire, and, and it has to have oxygen, fire has to have oxygen, right? So maybe it's like you're, you're actually fueling that inner fire just with yeah. breathing. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, well, well yeah. Um, and those, those points in the beginning where it was like, oh, I would, I would take, I would have a drink right now. If you breathe, like, <laughs> there, um, like I want to drink right now, pay attention to where your breath is. Cause I bet you you're breathing in your chest, reigniting my light. The light that I'm reigniting is the light of my inner child. I lost that. I mean, I, the only thing that I can really attribute back to my inner child is that I, I always loved sunflowers. Like I never lost that, never lost sight of that. Like sunflowers were always my favorite flower, but like I've been working in the yard. I've been noticing the birds. I name the animals in my backyard now, like, but we have Harley the heron, we have like Milo and Minka the muskrat, we have Willie and Wanda the wood ducks who have now migrated on, but they were here earlier this spring and like, and I have them all with alliterations, like, like an eight year old girl, seriously. And like, it brings me so much joy. Like, 
I get so excited when I see the heron and I'm like, Harley's here, you know, like it's, it's silly, but like it really works. Yeah, you're talking to a guy who brought his plastic owl from the garden <laughs> yeah. in and befriended him and made him his co-host. So exactly. Like... I also like went through this phase of like, I'm not creative and I'm definitely creative. So like, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm gonna like go out and like start painting portraits of people. Like I, I don't, but I'm creative in my way. And it's, it's just very interesting to like reconnect with that side of me. And it's, it's beautiful. It's like, that's reconnecting to my inner child is what I was chasing with alcohol. It, that's the feeling I was chasing. So. Uh, it's beautiful. <laughs> Caitlin, um, where you mentioned your Instagram. So where can people connect with you? Um, if they're interested in just saying hey to you, or if they're interested in maybe um, learning more about your confidence coaching. Instagram's the best place. That's where I'm definitely most active. My Instagram handle is clearheaded underscore Caitlin. And Caitlin is spelled K-A-I-T-L-Y-N-N. I do have a website, um, 180.me. You can check that out too. Well, um, Caitlin, before we go, I'm going to steal, I, I totally plagiarized from our mutual friend, Matt, who had you on his podcast. Uh, he asked me at the end of, when he interviewed me, he said, and I've just totally stolen this idea from him, but if you had 30 seconds left in your life, just to say whatever it is that you wanted to leave the world with before you go on to whatever's next, uh, what would you say? I still have the same answer for this one. All you have is the moment you're in. Okay. All you have is the moment you're in. And and that's a great, I mean, there it is. How many words? All you have is the moment you're in. It's like eight words, seven or eight words. There it is. And uh, it's beautiful. But there were so many wonderful things that you shared with us um, in this conversation. Uh, I think the thing that stands out to me the most is that idea of, your, your inner fire, but it's also connected to your inner child. Your inner light is your inner child. And so I think that's what I'm gonna take away the most from this conversation and remembering that it's okay to be the goofy Dana that ran, ran around hugging trees in the forest on uh, field trips and stuff. And people were like, what's up with that kid? And I'm just, I'm just doing my thing. Like, I just felt like, I felt like- Do it, go hug a tree, yeah, I promise. <laughs> but you know, when you're, when you're a kid, you think, well, I'm being, you know, I have to act, think or act a certain way, but you know, that, I guess that's where we have an opportunity now to do something that's countercultural and not worry about what other people think about it. You know, because being sober is something that is is catching on, um, but it's definitely still we're definitely still I think in the minority, especially when it comes to like you know football Sundays and anything else. Uh, you know, like summer parties that are going on right now. We're going to go to one tomorrow, and I've. I've got my athletic brewing like kit ready to go. Um, but I said all that just to, to say like, you know, you've demonstrated a lot of courage in what you've done to uh, reorient uh, the path of your life and to go help others. So I wanna thank you for that and thank you for sharing uh, some of that wisdom with us. And uh, this has been great, thank you. You can connect with Caitlin on Instagram at clearheaded underscore Caitlin, K-A-I-T-L-Y-N-N. And if you'd like to be connected to other travelers on this countercultural sober path, message me on Instagram. Uh, sorry, Al. Message Al and me on Instagram at I kissed alcohol goodbye. 
so that uh, we can add you to a group chat for fellow audience members so that you can have a meaningful conversation and encourage one another. So until next time, we thank you for being here with us. Uh, but until we see you again, uh, Al and I will bid you adieu with our best sober vibes by saying goodbye alcohol and hello life. Much love to you all and peace.